0: Welcome to Winging It Motown Radio. I'm your host for this evening, JJ. Uh, with me, I have Mike and uh, Prashant. How are you guys doing today? I'm pretty good.
1: Doing better than the Jets.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um... Kyle sends his regrets. He wanted to come on, but at the last minute, he got uh, eaten by a bear. So uh, rest in peace, Kyle, and we'll we'll miss you. So jumping right into it, uh, better than the Jets, uh, at least for now, because they lost seven to two to Toronto. Uh, that came. They, they, it started out really well for the Jets, like they were they were buzzing, and then just uh, they sucked. So fuck them. This isn't a Jets podcast. <laughs> let's go straight into uh, the big topic around Red Wings nation is still like the roster is finalized, except there is still one gigantic Athena CU sized hole in it. Uh, he has been working apparently working out to like head over to Europe and practice with team Canada, uh, which is probably a more credible threat than the KHL at this point. um, you know, Ansar posted just a couple of days ago that this—that that basically the update was no update, but he remains the last unsigned RFA. Uh, where are we at on this, Prashanth? When are we going to be able to put this thing to bed? Uh,
2: there's not really a good end in sight. Um, I think this is an interesting situation because you know, the longer this drags out, the more. We start to shift blame from Holland to Athanasiu and you know, fans start to get really frustrated. You know, he's not the first one to do this. Uh, last year you had Truba and Lindholm hold out. You've had a number of big names hold out in the past, but obviously people want to get him signed, get him under contract. It may take as long as Truba did, which I think he signed, like, November 7th last year. So he missed about 13 games. Lindholm signed, I think, October 27th. He missed a handful of games. I mean, obviously, you want to get him out there as soon as you can, but I don't think there's a firm end date, at least in sight as of now.
0: Oh, an entire month. Now, I know... you've mentioned that some players or some fans are already starting to essentially uh, turn on on AA and I'll admit that I'm I'm there like I'm at the point where 1.9 is I think it's fair. I think that he should just suck it up and sign. But I, I understand, like, everything where this is coming from, and it's still just a business, and I'm still just a fan. Uh, but where are you at in on that side of, of things? I know that you're you're a much bigger AA fan than than I ever was, even when I was like the hugest AA fan. So
2: yeah, for me, it's tough because uh, I think at this point, it it actually goes past just the money. And we're focusing on the money, and I think that contract that's been offered to him is 100% fair. Um, you know, Matt Kane's uh, salary cap model, which is based not on fancy stats but explicitly on box score stats and previous performance, had pegged AA as a 1.91 million. So he's getting offered literally exactly what's fair value. I do think there are larger concerns um, on his end, at least. One, with his usage and utilization last year, and two, kind of the role he's getting promised moving forward. Um, Yeah, he's got issues with his defense, but he seemed to be always picked on a little bit more than everybody else. Um, So I do wonder how much of that's playing into it, his relationship with the coaching staff. I think there's external factors here. For me, the NHL system sucks for young players. I hate the system. You know, there's nothing Ken Holland can do differently besides play the system he's got in place. And at the same time for Athenasiou, he wants to make a statement against the system, but he can't do anything. He's completely powerless. So that's why I do think this eventually comes to an end. And eventually you signs a deal and they figure something out. And it's probably going to be very, very close to what Ken Holland wants. Um, and that's simply just because the system right now sucks. So, yeah, there's blame on both sides. But really, I just hate the NHL system.
0: Yeah, I agree with you there. Now, Mike, uh, it, thinking that Athens CU grinds down and eventually ends up having to take the deal that he's been offered all this time, uh, what do you see in terms of how he responds to that or how much longer he's even in Detroit because of it?
1: Uh, I think a lot of that's going to depend on fan reaction and press reaction, and and that feels like kind of a weird thing to say given that the press in this city isn't really known for running players out of town, even with a certain writer and um, his or her uh, love-hate relationship with Nyquist and Tatar. Um, the scarves! Um, I, I, I don't <laughs> think Athenasiou comes out of this looking anything like the kind of player that people want to have on the team. Um, like Prashant Pers- was saying, the longer this goes on the The less it falls in his favor, um, and I, I I don't see this ending well for him, just period. So I don't think he'll be here very long. If uh, if that's the case, I guess.
0: Well, the best bet for him is after he gets the contract is to you know play along and and like tear it up. But if it's a two year deal, yeah. then is he like how? How motivated would he be on a one-year deal versus a two-year deal? I guess I'll ask both of you that.
1: I, I don't think he's got any more or less motivation on a one- or a two-year deal. I, I mean, you guys are going to have to help me out on this one, but he gets arbitration after the two-year deal but not the one-year deal? Or do I have no, that one, What? One,
0: regardless, one-year deal okay. is, is all he needs.
1: Yeah, then – Honestly, he might just be holding out for a one-year deal, so he can go to arbitration, get more money, and then as a UFA, you know, PTFO piece the fuck out.
2: I mean, it's kind of tough because I think let's say he goes into arbitration next year after a twenty-goal, forty-point season. Is an arbiter really going, or is an arbitrator really going to push his cap hit all that high? I, I for me, unless he blows this season out of the water, he's not coming north of three million next year. Um, and I don't think a one-year deal does that. Unless I don't think a one-year deal or, or a two-year deal motivates him differently. Um, perhaps he decides that at the end of a two-year deal, maybe he's then free because I believe that'll be the end of his restricted free agency period. He'll be able to sign with whoever he wants. Maybe that's his motivating factor, but I don't think there's any motivating difference for him between a one- and two-year deal here, at least from a money perspective. I think it's really going to be about, is he going to get used in a role that's fair for him, and there was questions about it last year, and I'm not sure what the status is for this year.
1: Yeah, and let's face it, I mean, even if he goes through arbitration and gets, like you said, Bershant, that three or maybe even a three and a half million dollar deal, if, if he just goes balls to the wall crazy. Um, with all the contracts we've got up next year and the money that's coming off the books, and I, I think we did a quick guesstimate on this earlier, maybe somebody else did somewhere in the neighborhood of like 10 million with, Mike Green probably getting traded this offseason, the small reduction in Stephen Weiss's uh, buyout number, which is still going on for a couple of years, and a couple other things. I mean, if he gets that big arbitration number, can we even afford him? He's he's essentially calling management's bluff there that they're going to trade somebody else out to keep him. And like you guys have said, given his usage so far, I don't know that that's a bluff you can call. I don't know that they want to use him to the best of his abilities.
0: Well, the funny thing is that we've been hearing all the rumors that apparently they've been ready to move a guy out specifically to keep him
1: uh, mm-hmm. with with the Riley Sheehan deal. So, um, Yeah, but then uh, we saw Pugliak got moved, um, what was it, earlier today, yesterday, something like that? Yeah,
0: but I, I'm not sure that he, that was necessarily like, crucial to that specific trade because the Red Wings don't really need another Right. like Pouliot to, to make that work. Essentially what they need is uh, just the space and whatever yeah. future value they, they can pull out of that. Um, yeah. the, the really good point in consideration of, like, even if he does get an arbitration deal, he's probably not going to be able to break the bank unless he goes nuts. Um, but I guess at, at that point there's that motivation for... Uh, if he goes nuts enough, it's possible that he can actually uh, get somebody to white knight for him on a on a an offer sheet, because uh, that's the really tough thing for how much this system sucks. Is it doesn't suck for for Jack Eichel and, and Connor McDavid and these guys getting these huge you face the franchise deals. It sucks for Athanasius who are on that uh, that second tier down who are really looking for the breakout. But they, it's so crucial for teams to be able. To keep them cheap because those are those are the production that that you really really need uh, to save the money on so that you can afford to pay uh, your McDavid's and and your Eichels and uh, your Franz Nielsen's I guess yeah and
1: hopefully your Anthony Manthas
0: yeah so uh, percent you mentioned the talk about like a, a role that that best suits him that's another question though because uh, we we all know that he got. Like, he got time with with Vanek last year, and that worked really well, but it was always an uphill battle for him to get, like, trusted there. But most of what kept getting him in trouble was the concept of he wasn't playing the two-way game right. Um, now, what what are your thoughts in regards to do we want him playing the two-way game, knowing how much of a burner he is and, and the benefit of that, or should we just look to, to make him a, a sheltered, a uh, scorer like a like a Phil Kessel.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question, and you know, obviously, when you've got a player like that early in his career, you you want him to learn that two way game, and you want him to take his magnificent offensive skills and learn how to one work as hard on both ends of the ice, but two learn how to transition defense to offense in the way that. You know, we saw Zetterberg and Datsu do. Um, Obviously, you don't want to suppress his incredible scoring ability. But, you know, the the biggest thing that was always working against him was you could see the effort coming back from the offensive zone was different than going to the offensive zone. Um, You would see him coast back a little bit more. You would see him, you know, kind of burn up all that energy that he's got getting to the zone and not necessarily working as hard to get back. I know that that's a source of frustration for Jeff Blaschel and you know he, he Blaschel made a good point last year that he holds the younger guys to a higher standard because he knows he can still mold them and work with them to a little bit and while I buy that to a certain degree um at the end of the day Athens defense was never as bad as they said it was um Thomas Vanek was the worst defensive forward in the NHL last year and yeah, I understand that, you know, you're probably not going to change his game at all. But you found a way to still use him, give him minutes, and make him effective. I mean, you got everybody in Detroit to like him and nearly made him a point-per-game player. And you made it that, so that his defense wasn't really obvious that it was bad. But he measured out as the worst defensive forward last year and did the same in Florida that he did in Detroit. So I do think there's a way that you can maximize Athanasiu. and I still think his defense right now is already better than where Vanek's has ever been. So I can see his point where he should get a bigger role in the way that Vanek was used last year.
0: Yeah, that's the funny thing is because like I can remember specifically things that uh, that Athenasiou was was doing wrong defensively. Um, because at at some point, you know, you have to start looking for it just to make sense of why he kept getting, uh, losing shifts and then getting kind of screwed by Blasio there. Um, but thinking back, it's like, I know that Vanek wasn't good defensively, but I can't tell you like what exactly he wasn't good at defensively. Like, cause it didn't seem like he refused to back check. He just never really seemed to be there. Um, and I guess it, it does make sense that he, he, Vanek wasn't hustling back either. Um, but, like, I just I never caught him trying to fly the zone early, like, leaving. Because that's the one thing. I, I actually wrote the article about it where, uh, like, he he laid uh, Larkin out to dry once, uh, trying to fly the zone early to make a break. And it was just one of those really bad plays. But, you know, you could see he was trying to create offense. It was, it was like, not the right move at the time. But it wasn't something that I, I, I truly hated or, like, wanted to kill from him just need, need needing to work on 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 those instincts but like in terms of like Vanek being bad defensively it was just he it was I, nothing really stood out in terms of how awful he was but enough about Athanasi. we've got an entire uh, well almost an entire roster of, of red wings to talk about uh, now that things are, are finalized and uh, this episode is, is airing on opening day so uh, let's let's talk about uh, break it down with the forward lines first, Mike. What uh, what do you think of this forward group?
1: Um, I think uh, I'm, I've I've got the roster up on the website right now, and I'm just like browsing back through the names, and it's just like it's a lot of nervous, uh, you know, like David Booth. I know he he got brought in to be like the fourth line grind locker room presence you know but he's not going to be doing us any offensive favors probably we've got a whole bunch of guys that have the the need to step up narrative and then we've got a whole bunch of guys where it's you know please don't fall off the wagon just yet so I don't know, I'm I'm hopeful that they'll be effective at scoring goals or or hopefully more effective than last year at scoring goals um I just I don't have a lot of confidence in it. Like like I, I look at the roster and I don't see guys where it's like yeah damn he's bad or he's going to be used in the wrong role. Like I know we've got guys like Glenn Denning and Booth and uh, Witkowski, but they're not going to be first line guys. They're they're not going to be second line guys. They're not going to be put out of their place. So I mean you know it's not it's not like we're vegas or arizona but i i don't see a whole lot that stands out good or bad i see a lot where it's just question marks Uh, what do you
0: uh what do you think yeah i think it's gonna be
2: it's gonna be a lot of what we saw last year and i think kind of summarizing what you saw last year was you saw a really good top line which was basically any line that had henrik zetterberg on it you saw a mediocre bottom nine that really couldn't score. And then you saw a horrific defense. And I honestly don't think anything has changed for this year. Like Looking back to last year, if you take like the Red Wings' first line and just look at the goal differential for 60 minutes that the first line had, they had the fifth best goal differential of any team's first line. The Wings clearly had an elite first line last year just from a scoring standpoint. But if you take their bottom nine, they have the second worst goal differential for their second through fourth lines. And just the way the roster is constructed right now, I think you're going to get good scoring from Zetterberg, Tatar, and Nyquist. And I'm suspect of the Larkin-Mantha-Firk trio. I know everyone's really excited about Martin Firk making the team. I'm a little more cautious about that. I don't think he's a good five-on-five player. I still think there's a lot of defensive concerns to his game. I still think there's a lot of skating concerns to his game. And I think you'll see those play out where he's not keeping up with Larkin, he's not keeping up with Mantha, and he's not getting a shot off. So I do wonder how much of that second line's offense gets stymied by that. The third and fourth line look like garbage right now, um, and the defense looks like a tire fire. So I I, I just don't see it really being any different than last year. Um, basically, we just got to hope Henrik Zetterberg's ridiculous again.
1: Brashant, do you think the um, the second line and the third line are going to be practically interchangeable? Because I mean, it's it's kind of like a kid line and then a vet line. With you know, Lark- Lark- this line that Larkin is centering and the line that Nielsen is centering, it almost looks like if if the kids aren't producing, they're just going to bump. Nielsen's line up to up to number two.
2: I already think you're gonna see Nielsen's line play more because I think uh Blash will use that as a defensive shutdown line. Um you know, Nielsen's an excellent defensive player. Darren Holm gets a lot of credit for his defense. I think you're gonna see that line being deployed against the other team's top line. So I wouldn't be surprised if that line is really the line that plays the second most minutes and you find your Mantha and Larkin and Furk trio um, getting shafted, um, especially in close games or late-period situations, I do think Blasher will hide them and not go to them as much. So, yeah, I already think that they're really the third line, um, and I think Furk is going to have a real short leash to where I'd expect Abdelkader to join that line if Firk struggles in the first couple of games. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but expect the Nielsen and Helm line to really be your second line.
0: Yeah, that was actually something I was going to bring up, because I think we're kind of getting rope-a-doped on treating that Dylan Larkin as the Red Wings sec- at 2C, uh, because it makes sense that, that Franz Nielsen would still go up against that, especially with the, the two like more defensive wingers. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we say that because uh, Helm and just can't score. Um, yeah it's not like they don't create chances, um, but it—I mean—it makes sense for that because uh, Martin Furk makes sense as a more sheltered guy. And if they end up—if it ends up with with Manta and Ferk getting like kind of shafted in terms of, of playing time—then um, there's also the consideration of I'm—I'm I'm not so sure that that Firk will have that short leash and Ablicator will find himself up there because that puts. Firk with Shelman uh, with with Helm and Nielsen, and he doesn't he doesn't fit on that line at all because that is very much a defensive oriented line, mm-hmm. um, and it makes it honestly makes me feel a little bit more comfortable because honestly Helm Nielsen an adlocator is essentially like an OMG line that's not garbage it's that's not a that's not an awful line that's not a second line in the NHL it. Is a third line, but you know, getting played like a like kind of a defense first line. If if things work out well, um, then I can see the logic behind it in terms of it will uh, waste the time of other teams' top scorers Try to get Larkin and Manta a little bit more free against uh, slightly worse uh, defenses. Um, maybe even free up the the Zetterberg line a little bit. Um, mm on some guys that maybe won't get caved quite so bad as, as essentially what OMG did last year. Uh, and then honestly the, the fourth line with Shane and, uh, and Booth and, and even Glenn Denning, who has put up double digit goals at least once in his career. Um, you know, I, I think the, I think it's, there's a good chance it's going to be better than last year. And it's, it's just looking at the defense. They're going to have to do a lot of extra work because, they don't have the guys that really hit those outlet passes and get the offensive minded guys moving as quickly as they could so it's just it's a lot more work it's going to be a a lot tougher for for Nielsen to to kind of live up to that contract because i think he's being asked to uh, be a, a, like essentially Datsuk again which mm-hmm. he 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 can't do so I think that on on any given night, this this forward crew has a, a decent shot against anybody. It's going to depend, unfortunately, it's going to depend a lot on Jeff Blashill's deployment. And I, I'm not sure we're dealing with a lot of people that have any faith in, in Blashill to do sensible deployment anymore. Yeah. So hopefully he'll prove us wrong. Now, we've already mentioned, do like... The defensive group is is weak uh, right now. Our, our top pair is Trevor Daly and and Danny Kaiser, who is a you know they are two second pairing guys. They're basically two second pairing guys that need a more solid guy with them. Um, kind of playing, I guess, push me pull me on the uh, push me pull you on the concept of, of who's going to be the solid guy. Um, what are what are your thoughts on on the way everything is working out versus the way that things ought to be working out at this point, Prashanth?
2: Uh, you know, that's kind of a tough question. You mean in terms of how I would wish they would work out?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Your take on, on how, how you would set up the pairs right now, based on the guys that you have, um, and how it differs from, or how it's, how it's better than, than what they do have right now.
2: Yeah. Um, one, I, I would get Danny DeKaiser away from Trevor Daly uh, it's going to go exactly like the Mike Green experiment did last year, except Trevor Daly is even more offensive-minded than Mike Green. Trevor Daly pinches more than Mike Green, joins the offensive rush more than Mike Green. I think you're going to find Danny DeKaiser caught on an island all by himself a lot, um, especially if he's stuck with Daly. So I don't, I don't think – I think while Daly will help him exit the zone better, I don't think that he'll do – any good for de and i would actually try and protect de by shifting him back with mike green and letting green know you've got to play a steadier game and rely on like a daily and jensen pairing really to spring the offense i think that pairing would be a lot of fun to watch uh, watch them activate especially if you got them in good deployment situations behind the larkin and Furk line. Uh, Larkin, Mantha, Furkline, I think you could have a lot of firepower there. And that would be a nice five-man unit um, that could really play interchangeable positionless hockey um, with how well all of those guys skate. And then, you know, my last pairing, really it's if Nick Cronwall's playing, then he's playing. uh, And you're throwing your cronwall Erickson pairing out there and you're hoping they're not playing more than 10 minutes. Um, You got to hide them. I don't have a better answer than that. It sounds like Ouellette's really only going to get rolled in um, when Cronwall sits out, so we'll see how that goes. But Ouellette's obviously a much better option than Cronwall, but playing with Jonathan Erickson does nobody any favors. I think Eric Carlson would look bad playing next to Erickson. So, you know, that, that'd that be the best I'd do. Is basically, you got to go heavy top four minutes, try and protect the Kaiser and Green, ask him to play a little bit more defensive where... You know, they're not activating that much to protect DeKaiser's skating and then use Daly and Jensen in a more offensive role.
0: Yeah, right on. Mike, uh, Mike what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, I. God. After seeing camp, like, I'm just more pissed that they signed Trevor Daly. And this is nothing against Trevor Daly because he's, he's a fine defenseman. Um, I don't want to go out on a limb and say he's, like, great or anything, but he's fine. He's an NHL defenseman. Um, but seeing the way that a guy like Hicketts looked during camp, it's like we, we just spent what three years and three million to sign Trevor Daly, right? And we could have had Hickets up, which a lot of people were clamoring for at the end of last season anyway, even even before camp. and we would have the money to sign Athena CU to whatever the f- heck he wanted. Um, and I know it's not Trevor Daly's fault for um, creating roster issues because he just signed the contract and he, he didn't hand it to himself. But I, I see a defense that's not really any better with him on it or off it, and it makes the forward group weaker just because of cap hell. So I don't, I don't know that structurally I'm going to say anything that adds more value to the conversation than Perchamp did, but that's... <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's my take so far.
0: I will say I'm, I'm ready to be the eternal stupid optimist again and, and say this is finally the year that Erickson turns it around and plays well for an entire year uh, next to Mike Green, and that's going to be weird as hell.
1: You are the dog sitting no in the bar while it's on fire. This is fine.
0: No basis <laughs> of logic for it i just want it to happen so bad and eventually it it has to in an in infinite universe or an infinite number of infinite universes yeah. um yeah we in one hand shit in the other so yeah. moving on to the goalies then uh are we how long before we have a new actual real life controversy mike
1: end of the season it takes all the way to the end of the season it takes all the way until after the Red Wings are done playing because Jimmy Howard's going to have an all right season. It's not going to be as good as last season before he got injured, but he's going to have an all right season. He's he's going to put up good numbers and I'm expecting Mrazic to bounce back, not with the kind of authority that he did, you know, before that Boston shelling where everything went downhill before it, but he's going to bounce back a little bit and it's not going to do anything during the season, but with the money situation and players to sign um, and contracts being what they are, I think I think Razek needs a new contract next year. That's going to cause the controversy. It's going to be, do we stick with an aging Howard or do we put full confidence in Razek who looks like he rebounded, but we don't know.
2: Yeah, my thought would be that you've got a controversy after the first week, but that the wings move Mrazek before the end of the year. Um, you know, like Mike mentioned, the wings have roughly. Let's assume the cap is seventy-five again next year. Although the escalator will probably make it go up just a touch, but the wings have roughly twelve million in cap space and have a lot of guys to sign. We've talked about this already, but. You know, if FERC is gonna be here, he's gotta have a deal. Mantha Larkin. If Shahan's still here, he's gonna have a deal. Who knows what kind of deal Athanasiu signs. Um, if Mike Green's still here, you have a decision. So you have a you have a handful of guys that you have to make decisions on. Um, and that'll be that'll be an interesting scenario for what the what the wings wanna do with that. And so I do think the easy way out is you hope Mrazek has a good year. You get him into a quote-unquote controversy where he is effectively splitting time with Howard, and then you deal him. And you hope that Keith Petruzzelli, who you picked up in the draft this year, you know, finds his game. He was a highly-touted prospect, second-best goalie um, in the draft. I mean, you hope that now he's your future. You write out the rest of Howard's contract, and you commit to the full-on rebuild.
1: Or you hope it'll for Caden Fulcher. It'll
0: be the return of Tom McCollum. We're going to lose that seventh-rounder. <laughs> but McCollum is going to want us the Vezina somehow. Um, no, it's a, it's a really like interesting X factor because both goalies at times have shown the ability to, uh, not consistently at least, but give, uh, Vezina quality goaltending at times. And, you know, it's a huge, if to say either one of them or both of them combined, do it consistently. Um, because obviously that's that's the problem for everybody around the league who's who's ever decent is do it all the time and and then we'll talk um, but goaltending could end up stealing a lot of games for the Red Wings and making a big difference but I, I, I don't think it can happen in a, a tandem like that I think that you've got to have the number one and the number two um, and I, I think they've painted themselves into the corner here so the, the good news about the concern about the salary cap, is, and I'm, I'm totally going to go full conspiracy theory here, is there's a lot of kids in Toronto that are coming up needing new deals, and Toronto is dealing with cap issues. I think that based solely on that, we're going to see the cap increase by larger margins than it has in, in years past. I think Toronto is just going to find extra hockey-related revenue to bump up the cap just to say, well, shit, now that we can, now we can afford all our kids, and Detroit is going to uh, benefit from, from that.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't say it's out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I mean, isn't that the constant rumor that uh, um, the Leafs are above the law?
0: Oh yeah, it's everything.
1: Everything works out for them, uh, except for you know missing the playoffs for thirty years. <laughs>
0: I, I agree with Prashantho. I think that it's going to be a goalie controversy sooner rather than later. I definitely don't think it's going to take all season, and I don't think that Morazic and Howard are both on the Red Wing squad by the time uh, April rolls around. Uh, I think that uh, that they're still set on trying to trade Mrazic. Um not necessarily that they're moving towards... Uh, really committing to to Jimmy Howard as the the goalie of the future. I just think that it's it's fewer headaches and that they're going to be able to get more value out of Marazic. And you see the the subtle signs of the Red Wings understanding that they probably need to rebuild. I mean in the David booth signing, if if nothing less. so I, I think that they're starting to try to like hide that behind the oh yeah, we're trying to make the playoffs and we got this new arena and we're we're you know, we we just need a bunch of ifs to go right for us. Um, but I think that you're seeing starting to see a lot of a lot of Red Wings hedging strategies in terms of doing that. So um, that's that that's what makes the most sense in in that vein, anyway. Yeah. So Tanner Glass is currently fighting. That's neat. <laughs> well, I'm watching Edmonton Calgary right now. This is like an actually like really good exciting matchup and like. JJ from seven years ago was like I don't believe you. And of course,
1: McDavid gets the first goal in that game.
2: Yeah, he's ridiculous. He's not
1: fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, uh, it's crazy.
0: So, what uh, what are your thoughts around around the rest of the league as of you know the the start of the hockey season right now, Prashanth? What what are you looking for or at or what's your excitement level?
2: I mean, excitement level for the rest of the league is pretty high. Um, you know, I'm excited to see what McDavid does this year. In my bold predictions, I said he wins the Art Ross by more than 20 because um, I just think he is that much better than anybody else from a pure point production standpoint. And playing with, you know, saddle and the rest of the guys up in Edmonton, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think you have to watch for Pittsburgh again. I mean, are they going to 3 Pete? They've somehow managed to keep going and the team still has a lot of the pieces that are, that were there the last two years. And so now are we talking three Pete? And then if that's the case, then where does that team stack up against NHL history to three Pete in a salary cap era? Um, Seems ridiculous um, to even, to even fathom. So I think that's a big, big time question. I think can Steven Stamkos stay healthy in Tampa there's a lot of fun and exciting things. How bad's the Atlantic going to be this year? Um, you know, there's a lot of good things to watch around the rest of the league. And um, so I'm just keeping an eye on all of that.
0: Mike, who's your uh, surprise team so far?
1: Oh uh, man, you would ask that. Um, I, I do um, a fantasy league with, uh, with Peter from here. And I, I had to tell him that I was buying the uh, Dallas hype when I was drafting a couple players. So, I think they'll be sneaky good. Um, I don't know that they're gonna get all the way there, but I think they'll I think they'll look better than they have in a lot of years, especially with the uh, the goaltending change. Not that I think Ben Bishop is you know the answer to all their prayers, but he's a much better stopgap than either Niemi or uh, Letnin were. Um, I also think uh, for them bringing in uh, Tyler Pitlick out of uh, Edmonton, was one of those real low-key good moves because I mean this was a kid who was playing like third-line minutes um, before he got injured, and he had already approached—I um, forget what the stat line is—but I think he was come looking at like a 25-goal season when he when he got injured. And this is some kid who's who's known as a hitter, um, so he's on Dallas now. Uh, I I just think that the central is going to fall faster than people think it's going to, specifically people in Chicago think it's going to. Uh, And um, Dallas is going to be sneaky good.
2: Totally agree. I mean, they added Martin Hansel, Alex Radulov, Tyler Pitlick, and you got Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan there. That's a loaded top six.
0: Yeah. Yeah, as long as their goaltending isn't trash this year, they should improve big time.
1: So how big of a – go ahead. No, and it definitely isn't trash. I mean, it, it might it might be like a little hamper, a, a little dirty clothes hamper, but it's no longer a dumpster fire.
0: <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So, how big of a difference does uh, does Yager make in Calgary? Oh, I think he's huge. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I agree.
2: The,
1: the
2: swing. Yeah, I mean, he's you know, I don't even know how old he is now. What 47, 46? 45, I think. Is he forty five?
1: I, th- I think he's only forty-five. Yeah,
2: I know he moved the Flames' average age by nearly two years, ju- when he signed. Like it went from like twenty-seven to like twenty-nine point three.
1: That yeah, was stupid. twenty 27.7, I think, to twenty-nine point three.
2: Yeah, it's it's stupid, but I think he really solidifies the Flames' top nine because you know Flames had such a great year last year with Backlund, Ferland, Frolik. You've got Gaudreau. You've got Sam Bennett um and now you're adding yager into that you've got sean monahan matt Mm -hmm. kachuk i mean you really have solid nine they added Christopher for that's another sneaky move i mean you've got a really solid top nine and arguably calgary and edmonton are right there um and if you look at the rest of the rosters calgary's defense is among the best in the west i mean it's right there with nashville um with brody giordano hamilton and travis hammock i mean that's as good a top four as you're going to get in the NHL, besides Nashville. So yeah, I really yeah. think the Flames are a team to watch, so long as the goaltending's not a dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Mike Smith, who knows?
0: Yeah. yeah Calgary and Edmonton is a really going to is going to be a really interesting study in the terms of in the concept of uh, Calgary probably has more overall depth, but Edmonton has like the the over the top star power advantage. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm looking forward to the Battle of Alberta actually getting interesting rather than yeah. it just being two shit teams.
1: Yeah, um, the other big thing with Yager, though, is I know a lot of people talked about bringing him here for this reason. He's going to mentor the crap out of some of the young kids on Calgary. Like, I know Sean Monahan struggled with consistency last year. A couple of the other kids did. And then you go and you bring in, the guy who is probably Mr. Consistency for his entire career in the NHL.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, by the way, Yager is going to be 46 before this season is over. Yeah. Birthday's in February.
1: Yeah. Oh. So oh, and, stand and the out. Other, the other Go cool ahead. thing about Yager is uh, uh, his hair matches the Flames logo. I, I can't say that's my own. Somebody brought that to me earlier today, but i got to put it out there. <laughs>
0: nice. <laughs> Staying out west for a little while, who's going to win more games between Colorado and Vegas?
1: Um, Colorado.
2: That's tough. I do like a lot of the moves Colorado made, and I still don't know what Vegas is doing with 11 defensemen on the roster. So, I mean, I got to go Colorado.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Colorado, irrespective of making moves, like even the way they were assembled last year, which was awful. Um the way that Peter and I were looking at Vegas all year, it was like, oh my gosh, they 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 could be a, a playoff team if they want to be, if they make the right moves. And then, you know, we start seeing inklings of smart things like bringing in Vadim Shepachev, uh out of the KHL and reportedly hearing that Marc-Andre Fleury was a sure thing to go there. It's like, oh, they're going to be good. And then they go and they draft an entire AHL team almost. Um, I, I get the feeling that, Management doesn't know which direction they want to go. And Colorado's at least got that directive. They know which way they want to go. Unfortunately for them, the only way they can go is up. So that makes that, you know, a little bit less difficult. But I I think Vegas is going to struggle mightily to win 25 games this year.
2: But if you're Vegas? Uh, you want? Well, I mean... I was just going to say, if you're Vegas, isn't that exactly what you want? Think I about think, what's the quickest path to contention—it's getting well,
1: talent. I think I think that might be what they want now, but the quickest path to building a franchise isn't necessarily the quickest path to contention. Um, I think they could have been a bumble team right away at, at the very worst coming out of the expansion draft um, if if they had really. Press the issue on some of this stuff
0: yeah see i don't think you actually have a franchise until you have contention and i think you need a franchise player for that so i kind of agree get to you know take the shot for for rasmus dollin to build around
2: yeah i mean get dollin get Sveshnikov. all of a sudden you've got a player to get hyped around because i guess my way of thinking about it is let's say you make you 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 make the playoffs as the eight seed you lose in the first round this year you didn't do anything to really improve your odds of making the playoffs next year, save you go out, swing a huge trade. So now you're stuck in that bubble of mediocrity where Detroit's been the last five years. And so I think for me, like from Vegas's perspective, throw out the worst piece of crap you can put on the ice. Give yourself the number one, you know, overall slot. Hope you win the lottery. Know you won't finish worse than fourth and get yourself one of those top three guys. Um to come be the one you're going to market and build a franchise around. Yeah. And then in five years, you just keep surrounding them with talent and you have Edmonton. Yeah, so, I mean, even with yeah,
0: that,
1: I,
2: though-
0: I do agree with you, Mike, that they could have started, they could have made better choices and been a better team right off the, right off the bat. I do agree. They could oh, have yeah. like been as good as a bubble yeah. team. I, I think just think that, that plan wise, yeah, plan wise, I, I think that it's, it's better because basically <laughs> for, a. Uh, I mean, expansion team, the best, the the best, like your best hope on getting like a face of a franchise, I don't even know like who's the, who's the, 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 the earliest face of an expansion franchise in terms of the guy that you picked off the, the draft. Like, that's, that's a great history question. I have no idea. Like, who's the, who's the most famous first Minnesota
1: Wild player? Minnesota Wild, I don't know, but Arizona Coyotes, wouldn't that be Shane Doan? Wasn't his first season with the uh, North Stars? Although, oh, that was an expansion team. They they transferred. Yeah, it was an expansion. Yeah. I was
0: actually I was actually thinking of Shane Doan when I when I started off this question. I realized that like that would be your best case, even though he wasn't an expansion pick. And
1: yeah.
0: as a franchise a- player, Shane Doan kind of came up short.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's Flurry. Flurry's I think the most famous player that's really based on where he was at his career to change teams in an expansion draft. I mean. Nashville, I think, picked Huey Krupp. They picked Ally Afraidy. So they picked like some guys that had bigger names, but it, it, really their best player out of that ended up being Volkun. Um mm-hmm. Looking at Minnesota right now, they didn't really you know, grab anybody exciting. I mean, it, 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 to me, it just makes me think that really I think Fleury is the best guy that's moved, and he, he's not really a guy you're ever going to build the, the face of the franchise around.
1: They've tried to yeah. now. Yeah. But, I mean, it, if if they're going for the tank, if they're truly going for the tank, which from the draft results it looks like they are, then I really question, like I said, the direction of management with why did you bother bringing in Shepachyov? And why why bother going for Flurry when you could try and take somebody younger?
0: Well, flurry it gives them something to sell this year I mean you can't you can't go like too too awful you because even then they're still gonna struggle to win a lot of games yeah um, he's been a really good selling point for them like flurry makes the most sense like you want to sell golden Knights jerseys the very first year uh, flurry's gonna be what 40 fifty percent of all those jerseys that get sold right oh at least. And uh, as far as uh, Chips Ahoy, I mean, you get him, get him while you can. And if if all if all blows up and you don't end up like if he doesn't end up being a a complementary piece to that eventual face of the franchise, you get
1: then you just sell him. But yeah. here's the thing, though: Shapachyov is already what thirty years old, I think. I, I mean, if they get the face of the franchise in this next draft he's not going to have time to be a complimentary piece. I mean, give give somebody, let's do a quick timeline and say that it's one year for them to develop. So he's 31 by the end of uh, this year. He's 32 by the time this franchise face actually makes the roster. How good is he actually going to be while he's declining? Give him another three years for franchise face person to actually adapt to the game and and get up and running and get somewhere where they're valuable because they're not going to come out of the gate like McDavid, in all probability.
0: I guess the question there is, why not sign him?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the early return is he's probably not anywhere as good as we all thought. I mean, the Knights sent him to the AHL, right? They waived him? That was
0: a paper transaction, though. Right, right. They're like
2: I, I guess that, to me at least, speaks that there's potentially some reservations, or he may get, he may go. But I mean, that's a little bit. I was surprised by that.
0: Yeah, I I don't get that. Uh, very last uh, Western Conference question: Are the Ducks any good still? Like, are they really good still? Are they going to like win the the West this year? Please say no. I mean, the West
2: kind of s- is a grab bag to me. I think the winner of the West is either Edmonton or Calgary. Um, and I've still got pieces, but Lindholm's hurt to start the season. Vattenen's hurt to start the season. Um, goaltending is still a little suspect because John Gibson's, um, you know, hit or miss still at 24 years of age. So I, I think, yeah, right. Ryan Kessler's is on injured reserve. Patrick Eves is on injured reserve. So I think that you've got an older team that's probably going to fall off a bit this year. So I don't think they win the West. I think it's either Edmonton or Calgary.
0: Oh yeah, they're going to have to scratch and get you know get on a roll late to go into the playoffs. Yeah, because they're going to suck early on, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I still think the winner of the battle of California ends up being San Jose. I, I think Anaheim has a good chance to be better than L.A., but I I don't think they come out on top of anything relevant. That's not to say they won't be in the mix, or you know they, they might still be a playoff team. But I don't think they come out on top.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. The Sparks are the best of California.
1: Yeah.
0: So jumping on over, uh, the class of the Atlantic right now is which team?
1: (sighs) Toronto? No,
2: I'm not ready to give it to Toronto because as good as their Fords are offensively, they're also equally uh, horrific defensively. Um, For me, People are sleeping on Tampa. Stamkos is back. Um, I think so, too. Like, that's, a, that's a ridiculous team. You don't have Bishop blocking Vasilevsky anymore. I mean, that's a loaded team. If Strawman plays well, you've got Hedman, you've got Stamkos, Kucherov. I mean, all the pieces are there for that team to be a cup team again. So, to me, they're the class of the East, and I'd actually put Montreal second, and then I'd put Toronto third.
0: Yeah, the funny thing is, I think that uh, after the end of the season, Tampa is going to look like they lost the Druin trade, but I think they're going to be better for it. Yep. Mhm. So I don't know. That's yeah. yeah the the whole like I ever because I've basically forgotten what Stamkos can do, and I think it's going to take him a little while to remind us all, and then it's going to be like, oh yeah, St- there's Steven Stamkos. We all we all forgot. That he, does, that he does that. So, good. Fuck them. Whatever. Yeah. Hopefully Jake Dodgson doesn't hurt too many people and he's like the new radco Gudis.
2: <laughs> he's worse than Gudis in my opinion, but...
0: I think so, too. Yeah, I, I think that Gudis is really reckless. I think Dodgson actually like really tries to hurt people. Gudis
2: at least brings some value to the team. Like, he's a decent, you know, uh, player in terms of his shot impact. I mean... I don't even know what Dachan does. Like, does he play hockey? I'm not sure.
0: Uh, only against people that aren't named Brad Marchand. Ah. Against him, he just plays protect your nuts.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so who's the class of the Metro then? Still the Penguins. Uh, it, the
1: Penguins. I don't. I don't want to say it, but yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a toss. Nobody, yeah, to nobody knows how good. Yeah, as nobody knows how good Washington is going to be. Like everybody, they they're, they're, they're going to fall off. They have to fall off, right? But we just don't know how much.
1: Yeah, they're, yeah. they're another team that made a puzzling move this season because they they ended up re-signing TJ Oshi for how long, and they let um, Marcus Johansson walk over to a, or no, they traded him, didn't they? Traded him to the Devils. He didn't sign there, right? Yeah, trade. Yeah. So, I I, I, just—I—I don't know. i I would have done the exact opposite of that, but you know, I'm sitting here in a leather armchair right now, and I'm—I'm no GM. So.
2: No, I mean I completely agree with you. I think TJ Oshie is 30 years old. Johansson's a few years younger, and you know, Oshie is set to see his shooting percentage regress heavily. I mean, the guy shot north of 20% last year. You don't do that consistently in the NHL. Um, So he's a guy, when his game suffers, then I wonder who picks up the pieces. You know, Ovechkin's another year older. Backstrom's another year older. Yes, Kuznetsov is really, really good. But I don't think that fixes what um, Johansson could have brought to the team. You still have... The shithead Tom Wilson on the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't think... I think they fall off exactly like you said, and I think Pittsburgh's still the better team, but Washington could still have a good regular season.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm going to move we officially rebrand him as the shithead Tom Wilson. I like that.
2: It just seems fitting.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Columbus is, what, either as good or slightly worse than they were last year. Um have the Rangers moved at all in terms of I don't know. There's a lot of like. There's a lot of iffy there in the in the Metropolitan that we just figure they're going to be like their iffy is way better than the Atlantic's iffy.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Rangers are one of the toughest teams to assess because yeah, they traded away a lot of offense. You know, this offseason with Stepan and um, Broussard going. Um, in various trades, but their defense is absurdly better. You subtracted Dan Girardi and added Kevin Shattenkirk. That in it of itself is probably the biggest move this offseason. Um, with how much that defense changes, um, does that take some of the wear and tear off of one quiz? Can he play an injury-free season? They made sure that um, a couple of their first-round picks have now made the team. I mean, it's a younger team. It's a faster team. And, Potentially, it's a more dangerous team, but I think they're a tough one to put. I don't think they win one of the top three spots in the Metro,
0: though. We can't forget the Brendan Smith factor, either.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thumbs up for Jeff.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to Positivity Corner. While we've gotten all sad about how much better the rest of the league is and how much more fun they're going to be to watch. So let's let's take some stock in, in what makes us happy. Uh, who wants to go first? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll, <laughs> go first. I'll go first. Crickets.
2: I, I'm really excited for Anthony Manta this year. Um, you know, for Kyle, he'll serve up a lot of spicy meatballs. But after he had a really rocky first season in the AHL and then his second season wasn't what everybody wanted, He seems right back on track, and this dude, I mean, he's going to be a monster. I don't think he's going to be that elite player that Detroit really, really wants, like a top 20 guy in the NHL, but I think he's going to be one of the best complimentary players they've had in a
0: while. Good answer. Mike, you got to come up with something.
1: Uh, That was going to be my answer. Um. Screw it! I'll I'll go general. I'm just happy that hockey's back. It's been a long off season. It's been a rough off season for for Red Wings fans. You know, considering that it's been how much longer than we're used to, um, and the prognosis moving forward isn't exactly great. So, I'm just happy hockey's back. That's that's a, a really good positive in my life.
0: That was going to be my answer.
1: You're welcome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um no I'll just use that it's uh, it, like I was you know went through some of the doldrums this summer of like how excited am I actually going to be and I'm I'm kind of happy that to find out like to, to discover that I that the level of excitement it, it did come back in in full force I mean it's it's changed it's evolved I'm I'm not Looking forward to uh, you know rooting for the playoff run, but I'm I'm looking forward to all the like the experience of the way the hockey season goes, the the joking around, the camaraderie, the the watching Anthony Mantha and and Dylan Larkin and and second guessing everything they do, and just all the the random garbage that just rules my life from uh, October all the way out through uh, only only April now. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. All right, so now we are back to everybody's favorite portion of the show. Uh, since I'm hosting tonight, I'm going to hand off the mailbag. Uh, so, Mike, why don't you go ahead and, and take over for me and do a better job than
1: I always do. I don't know if that's possible, but I'll give it a whirl. Um, all right, so first question in tonight is from Rhode Island Red 2. Guys, glass half-full or half-empty of vodka, rum, or beer? How will you be balancing the hope and excitement of a new season with the dismal reality that is staring us fans in the face? It's
2: a good question. I mean, I'll start with that. So, one, the glass is full, not half-full, full of bourbon, and that is how I will balance the hope and excitement of the new season.
1: Now, wait, 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 what, what kind of bourbon?
2: Uh, that's an excellent question given that it'll have to happen at least 82 times this year, probably not more. Um, it'll have to be something a little bit cheaper. So maybe we'll start, we'll just go with Eagle rare. That's usually that's fairly smooth.
0: JJ. I don't know why the reality has to be that dismal. Um, just cause it's not going to be good. Uh, I'm, I'm glass half full all the time. Uh, I'm gonna have fun regardless, so it's it's not really that difficult. Uh, I got a lot. We got a lot of practice dealing with uh, heartbreaking losses last year. Uh, hockey isn't at the point where it's got such a, a grasp over my life that I I have to let it ruin uh, full weeks at a time. I can let it ruin a night. I can maybe even let it ruin the next day. But eh, life goes on.
1: Uh, agreed. I I think I'm in the glass half full camp. At this point as well, it's just there, there's too much other crap going on, you know, personally meta in the whole world. You know, however you want to phrase it, that I'm not going to let hockey ruin anything for me. So, I mean, it, it might not be a successful season, but it'll still be a fun one. So um, swear on a stack of hockey pucks wants to piggyback off that question, wants to know, what is our drink of choice for opening night? Prashant I assume you're going to be going with bourbon
2: yeah it'll be a glass of bourbon right now I've got other Mictors nah I've only got Mictors here right now so it'll probably be Mictors small batch for that night
0: All right, JJ uh, a boring dad answer but I got soccer practice that night
1: so I, I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking water alright hey, Yeah. hey it could be Gatorade soccer practice go you know go rogue <laughs> <laughs> um i'm actually gonna spend opening night taking my dad out for a birthday dinner so i'm probably gonna be drinking either peroni or red wine we're going to italians so nice. yeah oh, right on joy yeah and happy birthday to your dad yeah 65 years old shout out shout out to pat hey dad all right. Uh, who has a brighter future with this team? Evgeny Svechnikov or Michael Rasmussen? This is courtesy of Fetching Expectations.
2: Are they, like, kind of fierce one direction here? I uh, Who has a brighter future with the team? I'm going to go Michael Rasmussen.
1: Yep, me too. Yeah, that's, that's three of us in agreement.
0: I think of no other reason than uh, Rasmussen is going to be a uh, center, and they're just always more valuable. I could come up with a million other reasons, though. I, th- I think Rasmussen is going to be a better player.
2: Yeah, I think it'll be close. I Like I've said before, I don't think either of them is a top-line player. I think you could see either of these guys comfortably slot into a second or third-line role. I think if I'm betting which one does that, it's probably Rasmussen. But that remains to be seen. I mean, Svechnikov just has, at least to my eyes, just – Seems like he's playing too fast, almost like what Tatar used to do a few years ago. And if he does learn to slow it down, then he really could be a dynamic player. Mm. All
1: right. Um, Datsuk for Prime Overlord wants to know, how excited are you guys for the Dolan sweepstakes to begin? JJ? No.
0: I'll get there after the trade deadline. I'm just enjoying hockey right now.
2: I I don't know if I'll ever get there cuz my initial inkling is that the wings are not that bad where they're going to be they're going to have high lottery odds for for Dahlen. My thought is the wings finish somewhere with, with, or between the 4th and 7th worst record in the NHL. So they'll have, you know, decent odds but it's not going to be substantially better than uh, this past year and who knows. I mean, maybe they get lucky and win, but uh, I I'm not really focusing on that cause I don't think they fall in that prime category.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I know we've seen a couple of things, projections, um, from, you know, people that know more than we do saying that the wings are going to finish dead last in the NHL. Um, just with some of the other roster constructions, like we were already talking about, like Vegas and Colorado and maybe even teams like Arizona. I, I don't see that happening. I don't, I don't think we'll have like, like you guys said, significant lottery odds, I think we'll have odds. I don't think we make the playoffs, but uh, yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be full tank mode early on. It's going to be wait and see, enjoy the season. And then, you know, okay, we're, we're kicking this thing in the, in the butt. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, Beer League Arbitration asks about deadline buyers and sellers. We assume that the Wings will be sellers at the deadline, like Green, uh, but I could easily see them standing pat if they're in the playoff mix at the deadline. How many points off the bubble do you think they would need to be to go one way or the other? Uh,
2: they're, they'll act as buyers if they're within 10 points. Um, right now, I can comfortably say they won't be within 10 points. Uh, So I think you'll see them function as sellers. But I think 10 points is kind of the cutoff that Ken Holland has cited before and kind of what I think is reasonable to consider. That's basically like making up a 10-point deficit in the last month and a half of the season is pretty darn difficult to do. But I think a GM could probably talk themselves into doing that.
1: I got a dumb question here. When is the uh, deadline this year?
2: That's an excellent question. Usually mid March or somewhere around there.
1: Yeah. I kind of expected it to be later with the Olympics, but then, you know, that whole issue. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, that's fine.
1: Yeah. All right. So we'll just yeah, figure yeah. late February, early March. Um, JJ? I was actually looking
0: to see when exactly the trade deadline <laughs> is. Uh, no, I agree <laughs> that in terms of, I think that that, uh, that level of, of off the bubble is pretty. Pretty right on. I'd, I'd like to believe that um, they will automatically lean a little bit more towards sellers. Like they'd be willing to, they'd be more willing to sell if their if the deficit is like six or eight than they would be to to buy if their if their cushion were six or eight. Um, but yeah, I think that you're going to have to be looking at, at double digit. Uh, points in terms of making them do one or the other because I just I don't even think like gearing up for a run at at this point with the oh anybody you know you just you have to get lucky you get in and you get lucky I don't think they're they're going to try that with like with say Mike Green but uh, dumber things have happened
1: yeah yeah I think I'm leaning more towards your side JJ with the. You know, six or eight points could be the cutoff. Um, I think if they're if, if they're in a wild card spot at the trade deadline, I don't think they buy. I think they just kind of stand pat, because I don't think that we'll actually see them sell out of a playoff spot, because nobody ever does that. But yeah. I, I don't think it'll take as much this year, knowing where they were last year, and obviously gauging by how the rest of the season goes, you know, recent play and all that. Um, but I don't think it'll take 10 points. I, I think it'll be eight, definitely, maybe even six and for them to be sellers. Um, and buyers, Buyers it'll, it'll almost have to be in a playoff spot. I don't think if they're two points out of the wild card, they go spending assets to buy in. So... Uh, KZU is asking is the worst case scenario this year. Like it was last year that Holland isn't bluffing about being focused on the playoffs and we do it a bit better than we thought. And are we going to waste another year accumulating picks making no noise?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spending your tires is absolutely the worst case scenario. Yeah.
2: Worst case scenario is finishing between seventh and 12th this draft and doing nothing with it.
0: Yeah, I mean outside of like stupid incompetence, like the Red Wings are 10 points out of a playoff spot and Ken Holland trades away Detroit's first round pick to go for a run. Um, yeah, and then they, they end up missing the playoffs and, and don't even have a first rounder. Uh, you know, the, the most sensible worst case scenario is, yeah, they end up Close to the playoffs, but not in them with uh, a shitty draft pick and don't end up picking up any future um, future value for, for any of the stuff that they've got now. Yeah. Agreed. By the way, the trade deadline is 26 February. The Red Wings have 20 games remaining in the
1: season after that. Okay. Good to know. 20 games to make up 10 points or 6 points or 8 points. Or no points. Um, Sugar Mouse has quick questions for the panel, so we're going to rapid-fire these guys. Uh, number one, will Ken Holland be the Red Wings GM next season? Yes or no? No. No. If not, who will and why?
0: Chris Draper, he's next in line. Appreciate yeah. it?
2: Unfortunately, as much as I want them to clear house and go external, it's going to be another one of the old boys club, and it'll be Draper. All
1: right. What happened to Danny DeKaiser's game, and is it fixable?
2: Uh, I can say not nice things about this. One, I don't think he ever had a game. And two, no, it's not fixable because he doesn't have a game. Um, I think he's a borderline second pairing guy who did well in a sheltered system, sheltered defensive system created by Mike Babcock, that unless the wings revert back to that, um... I don't think he you see him ever really approach what we thought he could be when we, when we first signed.
0: Yeah, he's not broken, he's just not as good as where, what the Red Wings pay him like. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Uh what happened at Justin Abdelkader's game and is it fixable? And uh, from my perspective, why is the answer not just Pavel Datsuk? <laughs>
2: Yeah, if you can get him back from Russia and then uh, get Justin to pull some pianos for him, it might work back out, but that's honestly it. You, put, you gave him dedicated time with Zetterberg and Datsuk. The dude scored 20 goals because who doesn't score when you're playing on the wing of those guys? You take them away, and you score eight goals.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. All right. Uh, better defense, Griffins or Wings? I'm going to say Wings, obviously, but Griffins are not far behind. <laughs> uh, relative to League, the Griffins have a way better
0: defense. Uh, overall, Universal, the Red Wings still have a better defense.
2: Yeah, it's if you're trying to say compared to one another, then obviously the Wings have a better defense. I mean, Mike Green, Danny DeKaiser, and Trevor Daly are better than any defenseman down there in Grand Rapids. Um, but relative to the League, like JJ said... Uh, Green Rapids has a pretty strong defensive group.
1: Yeah. All right. And the last one here from Sugar Mouse is asking us to rate long-term potential of our young defensemen. So just give me a line where you think they're going to end up. Hicketts. One, uh,
2: two, or
1: three.
2: Yeah, he's a second pairing guy. Ronick. Uh, borderline top. Yeah, I'd say upper second, probably like a number three. All right. Sorry, RV. Uh, five or six. Yeah, I, I'm going four or five. And Cholo, one. <laughs> <laughs> On the other end, I'm going six.
1: All right. Um, I'm
0: all aboard the Cholo hype train.
1: Yeah. Uh, GJ How PT asks, "What would your choices be for the Red Wings' goal song?" Has this been asked before? If it has been asked, then I've got nothing other than, "How is your night going?" It has been asked before, but we can always rehash it. And our night is obviously going well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Finally, by C.C. C. Peniston.
2: <laughs>
0: just because <they're laughs> they don't score goals.
2: <laughs> I really just would love like if the first time they scored a goal in Little Caesars is just Chelsea Dagger, and then they just keep <laughs> doing it the rest of the season.
0: Just to fuck oh, the man.
1: Way. Oh, that's evil. That's so uh, good. I, I was actually going to say, like, I don't want one goal song specifically because of the Chelsea dagger thing. Like
2: I just, I hate it.
1: Yeah. It, it, you hear it. So, well, not that you hear it much in the playoffs, but you hear it like so often if you actually go to the games that it's, it's like after a while, it's just like, please no, not the song, not the song. So I kind of like the way the wings do it right now where, you know, different players have different songs that get played.
2: Yeah. I like that.
1: Yeah.
2: I miss uh, the Brendan the- and Irish jig.
0: Yeah. I still think they should give that to Sheyenne, but that doesn't actually preclude you from missing it.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, he needs to score for that to go Ex- off. You know? <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, speaking of scoring and, and big goals for the Wings like Sheyenne gets, Timmy Timmons wants to know who you think scores the first goal of the season for the Wings, and uh, who do you think gets the first penalty for the Wings? Uh...
2: Jonathan Erickson Erickson for the win on both.
1: Yeah, Sheehan's got to get the first goal,
0: right? If he scores it against the wings, it's still like, I'm still going to count that.
2: (laughs) It is a a puck in the net. All right. Um, I'm taking Nyquist for the first goal. And um, Mike Green for the first penalty.
1: Uh, I'll just be sentimental and I'll take Sheehan for the first goal, because why not? And first penalty, I'll I'll go with... um, well, Cronwell would have to play for him to get the first penalty shit. Um, I'll go with the uh, Luke Gritkowski. Uh, Zamla I don't think he's want- going to be playing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's going to be Well,
0: Actually, gonna go a whole I'm going to change without- my first. Uh, yeah. I'm going to change my first penalty to the bench.
1: Ooh. <laughs> Jeff Blaschel taking the first penalty. Yeah. Yeah. all right Zamwell wants to know puns or obscure references which is your preferred headline choice
2: puns uh, I like obscure references
1: I split the difference I like both equally um, also which of the Red Wings players or staff included is better than we think
0: uh, I think that Jeff Blashell is better than he gets credit for just because he gets so so much credit for just being like the worst ever <laughs> I think he cannot possibly be as bad as people think he is. That does not mean that he is good.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go yeah, with that might... Oh, sorry, Mike. Did I catch you off? No. No, no you're good. Franz Nielsen. Yeah,
1: I just, no,
2: uh, no just have to throw that in for Peter. Now, he's he's obviously an excellent defensive forward who grades out very well in all the advanced metrics. He's just being paid to be Datsuk's replacement, and he's not. But that doesn't yeah. mean you should devalue what he brings to the team. Yeah.
1: All right. Mantha Fodder wants to know what the FERC? Do you think if AA stops pulling a Fedorov and signs a contract, FERC will stay in Detroit or will he be sent to Grand Rapids as fast as a pucky shot? Yeah, he's oh, out. That's a, yeah, I, I can't yeah. see why they wouldn't.
2: They'd have, have to waive him. I mean, they could, I guess, send Booth to the AHL. If, if AA signs relatively soon,
1: well, don't they have thirty days to do it? Because he already cleared. Right, that's what I mean. Like they yeah. could
2: sign AA and send Booth send Booth down, but I think FERC goes before Booth. Only one of those, yeah. Guys I guess
0: is if Michigan, so it, yeah, it, I guess it depends on how FERC plays in the the games in the meantime. Like if he's invisible, then yeah, they'll go ahead and try to slide him on waivers and see what happens. Um but if he's really tearing it up and you know they'll they'll have other options.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um Peter's Glove, on a scale of one to ten, how likely are each of these players to be with the Red Wings on opening night next year? Nyquist. Ten. Oh ten. 10. Uh, uh six and a half. Yeah, I was going to say 6. I might even go 5 just to be right in the middle. Uh, Shane. 3 2 uh, I, okay. I think 7. I think they're going to I think he's going to get a contract and they're going to move somebody else out. Uh, Zetterberg 10 10. Mm, I'm going to go with 8. I'm not going to rule out back spasm surgery. Uh, last one, Jacob Truba. 0 Aye. Yeah. Math um, humor for you. Yeah. Who will get their first goal for the Red Wings sooner this season? Shea and Hicketts or Gritkowski asks Datsuk for Prime Overlord.
2: Uh, I mean, I'm taking Shayhan and that he scores one in the first five games this year.
1: Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm like I get the joke, first but it's goal at LCA, sh- so. Yeah, yeah,
0: I want to joke, but it's, it's going to be Shea Yeah, out of that group, yeah. Um, And then it'll be Gritkowski, and then it'll be Hickett's
1: last. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, TK Fergie asks, Cronwell's visor with the new rule being enforced, will Cronwell still wear a visor? I
0: can't wait to see that. Because Leo Komarov got a penalty in the very first game of the season for wearing his visor. Because there's a bunch of guys in the league who do it. Uh, they, they wear their visor exactly like Cronwell, where it covers up their foreheads, uh, and they've been told specifically the visor has to, like, actually protect your eyes if you're going to bother wearing it, and Cronwell is one of the players who still does have the, the grandfather option of not wearing a visor at all, but he, in his entire career, he has, and they've said... If you wear a visor, you have to wear it right. So I don't know if he's gonna just gonna take a million penalties or if he's gonna give up on the visor, or if, surprise, surprise, he's actually gonna wear it right for like the first time in his whole career. So I'm I'm looking forward to that storyline.
2: Yeah, I think he I think he wears it every game.
1: Yeah. I, I think he adapts and, and just pulls it down a couple inches.
2: So. Or or he goes for
1: option number three, full cage. Oh, I like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our, our own Peter Wim wants to know, which would you rather watch? Hunter, the Edmonton mascot, read bedtime stories to your kid or future kid every night for a year. And, folks, if you haven't checked out the mailbag and, and you're lucky enough to be listening to the podcast, you have to go into the mailbag and you have to see this picture of Edmonton's mascot, Hunter, because it is grim. Uh, or would you rather have Nicholas Cronwall on the Red Wings power play for every game this season?
2: I think this is a pretty easy question. I mean, give me Hunter all day and every day.
1: Yeah, i just have Hunter read to my future kids before they're old enough to remember it. The needs of the
0: many outweigh the needs of the few, even if they are my kids. Um, and besides, that, I don't think Hunter can do any more to scar them than I'm already doing. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take Hunter.
1: All right. And then we've got one final question here from Timmy Timmons with Cronwall on the power play. Um, at least the lasting psychological damage will only be to him. Uh, oh, no, he's just taking it. So that's, uh, uh, yeah, he's just taking Cronwall. That's it for questions then. Oh, my bad. Yeah, like what
0: if the kid grows up to be an Oilers fan? Yeah. I shudder at the thought. I don't know <laughs> that I would actually shudder at that. Like, you take the Oilers, whatever. Enjoy. Yeah, they're going to be a different Oilers than they were for me when
1: I was young. Yeah, it's- Connor McDavid and Leon Drysital. I mean, you you can do a lot worse than that.
2: Right. It's like when I'm growing up and it's Iserman, Fedorov, and those guys. Like it's going to be the same thing for Edmonton kids now. You got McDavid and Dreisidel, Like it's going to be a blast. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like a toss up between which is the worst thing about the the good Edmonton between Hunter and Milan Lucic. <sighs>
2: Yeah, that's a tough question. Shoot,
1: um, I, gotta pull, I, I gotta put Hunter above Lucic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me
0: too. Like, I if if you change like the Milan Lucic has to read a bedtime story to your kid every night, versus the Cornwall on the power play, I would put Cornwall on the power play there.
2: Yeah, I don't want Milan Lucic anywhere near a child. Yeah, you don't want him influencing future humans.
1: I really don't. Alright, that does it for uh, reader questions, despite me botching the last one. So,
0: there we go. No, that's fine. You, you did a good job, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so, uh, so head on to our very last segment. And bringing back this segment now that the season is starting, let's take a look ahead, gaze into our crystal balls, and prognosticate just a little bit on these crystal balls of ours. I uh, just want to say balls. Lots of times, we got two games coming up this week. Uh, tonight, based on when this this episode is coming out, versus the Wild, and then Saturday against the Senators in Ottawa. Uh, how are we going to do in those two games, Mike?
1: I think we're going to go 0-1 and 1. I think we lose outright to the Wild in a stellar opening for the LCA, and then I think we go to Ottawa and drop one in overtime.
2: We go 1-1. One we uh, get clobbered by Minnesota, but then we go and beat
0: Ottawa. I'm going to go 1-0-1, that we beat Minnesota without Zach Parise around, uh, just on the, the the strength of being really fired up by the LCA crowd. And then we lose in overtime uh, on an incredibly unfair goal uh, to Ottawa. All right. One, one and nothing. Why not? It's going to be boring as hell. Peter
2: Mrazek with the almost shutout.
0: There we go. Oof, but 1,500 fewer people will be able to see it in Ottawa because of the, the seats that are gone.
1: Yep. That is vicious.
0: <laughs> okay, so any final hockey-related thoughts from you gentlemen? So now that you go Wings. Let's go Red Wings. Hell yeah. Okay, so for Mike, for Shanth, and for the... Uh, bear Eaton, Kyle, who is missing. I'm JJ from Kansas. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wim Radio.
1: Are the theme song?
0: Wim